It really is a privilege to have this opportunity to share the Dharma with you, to share in your unfolding of your practice. Looking out at you, I'm so happy. that we're all here together. This is such a rare thing that you would choose to do this, that 80-some people come for this long. Watch your minds. And I can share that happiness with you. There's not so many people that would understand, well, why is watching your mind so good? Yeah, so, thank you. Last time I sat here in the evening, I offered the sharing on dependent origination. And uh, that teaching does talk about conditioning, the conditioning of how our minds habitually are caught in the process that leads to suffering. And um, the Buddha pointed to this process in different ways, offered different framings of how conditioning can be useful for us in understanding our minds. And I'd like to explore one of those tonight too. It's also a process that talks about how we get caught by delusion. And in the middle of this chain is quality, a process of mind, the process of perception. Perception is a natural functioning of mind. It's it's this process by which we recognize our experience. And, And yet when we don't understand it as a functioning of mind is we don't understand it as something that's happening in our minds. It's very easy for delusion to come in and create a lot of misunderstanding. And so I'll talk first a little bit about perception, how that works and how we might begin to explore it. And, and then a little bit about how it gets misunderstood and how how confused this world is through the misunderstanding of perception. So this process of perception is very simple in our, in our minds. It's a natural process of our minds that helps us to navigate the world. I sit here and I look out and I see people 
and I see walls and tankas, lights, chairs, zafus, zabutans, candles, statues. All of that is the mind recognizing experience. So this process of recognizing our experience is incredibly useful to us. When we were first born, we didn't have much of this capacity to distinguish all of these things and have names for them. And so it's something that we've learned. We've learned to give names to things. And this is a piece of the process of perception. Perception's actually broader than just naming things, recognizing things through uh, our language capacity. But this is one of the main ways I'll speak about it tonight. And it's very useful for us. If every time I came into a room like this, I had to figure out, oh, those are people. Oh, those are lights. Oh, that's a wall. Okay, don't walk into that. If every time I, I walked into a new space, the, 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 all of that had to be figured out, it would be exhausting. And so we can kind of think of, in some ways, perception as a shortcut that really helps us to navigate our lives. And so this process of perception in the Buddhist teaching is understood to be connected with memory. That we begin to recognize experience because we've been taught, this is a person, this is a chair, this is a light. And that, it's sort of like what happens for us when, when we enter a, a space, it's, it's our mind will do this kind of it's almost like a, a search. We'll say, what is this? And it kind of searches for the closest pattern match. It says, oh, it must be that. And our minds do a really good job of this. They do a really, really good job of this. And so as we go through the world, all of our senses, we contact, contact the world through our senses through our physical senses and the mind. Our eye sees sight and there's that contact and then from that contact there is this process of recognition that starts to happen. Shape and form. The eye sees color and form and then the mind puts together what that color and form is. Likewise with sound, smell, taste, touch. There's a kind of a bare sense contact. Like when we bite into an orange, there's tartness and sweetness and uh, the, the, the texture of, on the tongue of liquidity and um, all of that together, the, the, that whole thing together is understood as orange pretty quickly. And also because we've seen the orange. So the, they, the, the, the senses play together to, to support perception. But what's actually happening at the level of the sense door is 
bitterness, sweet, salty, sour, at the tongue level, at the eye forming color. And it's the mind that puts together what we recognize. So we we recognize it based on memory. And so perception is a process that's very useful and yet it is easily misinterpreted. And the the Buddha offers um, a teaching by way of analogy that uh, helps us to kind of recognize part of the way that this misunderstanding, part of the aspect of how perception can be misunderstood. He uses the analogy that perception is like a mirage. Our usual, perhaps, thought about mirage or understanding about mirage is seeing something that's not there. But what a mirage actually is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure at the time of the Buddha they understood this. This is what it's described in Wikipedia, what a mirage is. <laughs> so the kind of the classic mirage is seeing um, water in a desert. And so uh, what's happening there, apparently, is that with the heat that's rising from the... Uh, the sand, it creates a kind of a reflective, kind of a surface, a reflective surface. And that reflection, it's, refl- it's basically it's reflecting the sky. And so it looks like water. It's reflecting the sky, it's also reflecting, I saw a picture, you can take pictures of mirages, you know, it's very cool. And there was a picture of a, of a desert. It had mountains in the distance. And it looked like this, you know, this body of water in front of those mountains where the, the mountains were reflected in the, what looked like the body of water, much as they would be if it were water. So it, 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 the, the, the reflection is happening because of the the heat rising from the sand, and it's reflecting something that's there. It's reflecting the sky. It's reflecting the mountains. And because of our association with seeing that kind of reflection, that that it means water, our minds kind of perceive it to be water. And so it's reflecting something that's there. But it's not the thing. And so this begins to point to the uh, part of the confusion that can happen around perception. When we perceive experience, when we, whatever we're experiencing, all that we experience is our mind's reflection of it. Perception is kind of like a reflection in the mind of the world. But we don't actually, our experience doesn't actually meet the world. It meets the perception. The perception is kind of one of the bare bones of our experience. And because that perception is 
created by the mind, it's really easy to be distorted by views, beliefs, interpretations, to be misunderstood for something that it's not. And so the, this analogy points to the way, essentially, um, our delusion, the delusion takes that representation of reality to be reality. And we believe they are reality. It's really hard not to look out and see you and think I'm really seeing you. I know that what's happening is that this, what, all that I know is constructed in the mind. But it's very difficult to recognize that. It's not just like a camera recording things here. It's not just like microphone picking up sounds. We talked about this some the other night, that how our views and ideas kind of create a filter through which we see things. And this also creates filters through which we perceive. And so we're not simply perceiving reality. And yet we think we are. And so this is a key place where delusion can enter in into our mental processes. So it can be very helpful to explore perception, to begin to get familiar with this process. And we can, we can get familiar with perception at work as mindfulness gets stronger. We can begin to see that this is happening We can begin to see that that there's a difference between the contact with the sense door and how our mind recognizes something about it. For me, in my own practice, the easiest place to do this has been in the terrain of, of sound, of hearing. That as we uh, listen, as we hear, There's that sound that's coming from outside that by now we all recognize as froggies. That's Greg's perception, froggies. But we can begin to notice, as the mindfulness gets a little bit more get strengthened, we can begin to to notice that there's the sound, which is pitch and tone. And then there's something that goes on in the mind. And it might be the word frog that comes up in the mind. 
Or it might be an image, if you've seen the frogs, it might be an image of a frog. I actually have seen images of these frogs. I have no idea what they look like. But I've created something, a frog-like thing in my mind. <laughs> and that's how it, it, it was perceived. Rather than it being the, a word or my mind saying the word frog, it created an image of a frog. And so perception... So there's the hearing, and then there's the identification of what is heard. And that, that, that identification can happen um, like it, it can be a form of a thought. It's a, like a really rudimentary form of a thought. And because it's a, a form of a thought, it can happen like any other thought. So it might come in as a visual image, it might come in as a word, it might come in... I've even sometimes seen... A perception as if I was reading the word. Frog. So that's another way that perception can happen. Or thoughts can happen as if we're reading the sentences. Sometimes thoughts can happen as if we are... Um, uh, kind of a kinesthetic sense. I, um, I used to be a dancer... And um, there was a, at times if I thought about my dance, I could feel it as if I was doing the dance. I didn't think about it in terms of words. I didn't think about it in terms of this step and then that step. It was the feeling of doing it that was the thought. And so thoughts can occur in many different ways. And so for some people, you know, maybe the perception of of frog is... is kind of connected to a, a touching a frog. They touched a frog at one point, and maybe that's what comes in. So this perceptual process, this rudimentary form of thought, can come in, any, in many different ways. Sometimes it can almost seem like, if it comes as a word... You hear, you, there's a, there's hearing something, and then the mind labels golf cart or sneeze or rustling or chair squeaking. You know, so your mind your mind might recognize, perceive the sounds, and and name them, and it it can almost seem like labeling. If you've done any of the noting, the mental noting, sometimes it can seem like this perceptual process is. When we start to see it, it's almost like labeling run amok. But we can't. One thing that I I often, when I um, talk to people, if they say, I just feel like I'm labeling everything, I say, well, is it something you're doing? Are Are you consciously trying to label frog and chair? Or is it just happening? And many times people will say, no, it's just happening. I'm not doing it. Perception is not self. Perception is something that happens. It's a process that unfolds in our minds. And as I said before, it's a really useful process. Helps us to navigate, helps us to walk down the hill, helps us to navigate our lives. Helps us to go through the lunch line, sit down and eat our food. This process of perception at work. So, 
we can begin to get curious about this process. And for me, as I said, hearing is, is one of the easiest ways to do it. So when you're sitting in meditation, you may you know, notice the sounds and then notice the mind, identify it. That's perception at work. Noticing that identification. So you can recognize, oh, perception. Perception's happening. I would say that not recognizing perception happening is one of the leading causes of wandering mind. Because we're sitting here and we hear the turkey. And if we don't clearly notice that the mind has perceived turkey, we may start thinking about turkey and then start wondering how many of them there are out there and then start thinking about that one that we saw all by itself, running so fast. We've never seen a turkey run that fast. I've never, oh, sitting. (laughs) So not noticing perception very often, because it's so close to thinking, it's very easy if we don't notice that, or when we don't notice, notice that very easy for it to slip into thinking. So perception also affects other aspects of our experience. It's, it's, or there's a, um, how we perceive things. It's not, it's not the perception itself that has the impact really, but it's kind of like all the associations that come with that perception that can affect us. So, uh, one day in meditation, I was hearing this sound that the mind flipped back and forth in terms of perception. And, And this can be an interesting thing to notice. Sometimes if we don't quite know what something is, we can see our mind trying on different perceptions. Oh, maybe it's that. Oh, maybe it's that. Well, in this case, what I was flipping between was thinking it was a bird or thinking it was a machine that was beeping. For a little while it would be, oh, it's a bird. No, it's too regular. Oh, it must be a machine. No, it sounds like a bird. So this kind of flipping back and forth, not, not able, I never actually found out whether it was a bird or a machine. But one of the interesting things was I could see there was a different impact that it had on me when I thought it was a bird. Oh, bird, pleasant. Oh, beeping machine, unpleasant. The feeling tone of the experience affected by the perception. This happens a lot. Kind of the classic example, this, uh, I think this kind of um, 
how perception affects us can really be highlighted when, when we do have a misperception like that, where I don't, I, know, I don't even know. I don't even know it was a bird or a machine. Maybe it was something else entirely. I don't know. But the classic example about this is, is um, walking into a room in dim light and seeing a coiled form in the corner and perceiving it to be a snake. That, of course, would create some emotional responses based on associations with snakes. And if somebody comes in and flips the light switch on and we see it's actually a rope, very different response. Another aspect of perception that I'll just mention, because at this point in the retreat, this could be happening. Um, Our minds try to perceive whatever is going on. Whatever experience is happening, whatever sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, or whatever's arising in the mind, the process of perception kind of tries to recognize it, tries to identify it in some way. And as we enter into... um, unfamiliar states of meditation, our mind still will try to recognize it. Sometimes our mind will attempt to recognize the experience. At least in my sense, what's happening, I don't really know uh, what's going on here, but I do have times when I'm experiencing something that maybe feels broad, vast, expansive, and an image comes into the mind like, seeing the night sky or seeing an expanse of grass. Just the vastness of the mind. It's like the, the mind is trying, it's like creates a, a perception of it through analogy. And so you might notice this at times. You might notice that sometimes while you're meditating in, in coming, touching into um, different or unfamiliar states of mind, the mind trying to make sense of that experience may perceive it, recognize it through an image that's kind of like an analogy. At one point, uh, I was experiencing quite a bit of low energy and uh, the mind recognized the mind state with the thought, the batteries are low. <laughs> this is uh, evocative of what the state was. And so just, I just wanted to put that out there. And so the, the texts, the, the Buddha, the, the teachings in the, the Pali Canon offer... Um, a teaching, some of the key teachings around perception point to how it is um, tied up with deluding influences when we're not aware of what's happening. The analogy that I mentioned around the mirage is one of those teachings pointing to the deluding influence of perception. There's a particular quality in the mind, a a function of the mind that has a very delusive, uh, is very delusive capacity that is um, the the process of papancha. 
and the teachings that some of the teachings on perception tie this teaching to papancha that there's a, a connection between perception and papancha when the mind is not clear and the texts don't really give a clear definition of papancha but they do describe how it arises and a little bit about what happens to the mind when it arises and also tie it, it, they point to it being very intimately connected with conflict in our world, this process of papancha. And so I'm going to read you the passage or part of the passage about papancha and perception. So this is um, one little piece of it. And in this, in this passage, it goes through um, each of the six sense bases and, and points to how perception works in the sense base and then how papancha kind of leads forward. I'll just read this with respect to the eye and forms. But it is also repeated six times with the ear and sounds, the nose and smells, the tongue and tastes, the body and tactile objects, and the mind and mind objects. So this is just one way through this. Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. This has a flavor very much like dependent origination because it is, it is conditions coming together that lead on to the next thing. So dependent on the eye and forms, forms being light striking the eye, f- bouncing off of objects in the world. Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. So basically that's seeing. The meeting of the three, the meeting of the eye forms and eye consciousness is contact. Something becomes seen. With contact as condition, there is feeling. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. With feeling, what one feels, that one perceives. And so this this adds in another piece that wasn't clearly called out in dependent origination. The understanding in... in, um, in the um, commentaries is that feeling and perception arise together. And so feeling arises, perception arises right with it. And so we both feel it and perceive it at the same time. What one perceives, that one thinks about. So we hear something. There is a feeling associated with that and a perception of turkey. And then there's a little bit of thinking about it. I mean, it's, not just, it's not just the bare perception. Maybe the perception was, was an image of turkey. And then we start, oh, oh, that's a turkey. I wonder how many there are. You know, so there's just a, a thought about it. What one thinks about 
That one mentally proliferates. This is the word for papancha that's translated here, mental proliferation. And so in some ways this mental proliferation has been talked about and is still often talked about in terms of proliferation of thought. That kind of description I gave before of, oh, I wonder how many turkeys there are. Oh, maybe, hmm, I wonder about that one that got separated before and just, you know, kind of the mind goes off into thought. This is one understanding of what papancha is, the mind that's kind of run amok in thought, basically loss of mindfulness through lots of thinking. And this is a very common way for perception to function in a mind that is not very mindful, that we perceive something, we look at it, we recognize it, we think about it, and then we start thinking about how is it in relationship to other things I've thought about and other views that I have, and and we're off. And so that is one way that that uh, papancha is understood as being this mental proliferation, lots of thinking. The rest of the section goes a little bit further into what happens to a mind that has papanchad. What, with what one has mentally prolifer- proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset one with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. And so this is a description, to me this is a description of how perhaps when we think about something a lot, views are created, opinions are created, and then those views and opinions which are born of this kind of mental proliferation, those views and opinions, then influence us, affect us. This is very much the same cycle that we saw in dependent origination with ignorance, conditioning mental formations, and conditioning what we take into consciousness. And so here it's perception leading to views and opinions and ideas that those views and opinions and ideas then affect how we take in information. So, so that, um, that perception of whether it was, uh, so the, the, the sound, the beeping sound, if it's just beeping, maybe it's neutral. And so maybe the first thing that hits the ear is just neutral, just the sound beeping. And then the mind has another layer of perception. So the first level of perception is kind of beeping. And then there's another level of perception that happens, which is bird or machine. And that extra level of perception then influences the feeling. So in... um, this kind of influence happens a lot in our lives. So for instance, seeing somebody that you don't know, 
walking on the street, you know, just seeing a person walking by. Maybe that would be relatively a neutral perception much of the time. And yet, what can happen is if that person, for instance, has maybe a body shape that's similar to someone who has abused you, that, uh, that connection of perceiving somebody with that body type leads to being abused, that, that kind of connection may lead you to, in that moment, experience fear when seeing this person that you don't know. And so in, in this way, the, the past comes into our present. Our conditioning, not only our views and ideas, but, but what has happened to us, how we've been, how we've engaged in the world, what, what has, what are the conditions of our life? Those conditions will affect how we take in information, how we perceive something. So this um, teaching of Papancha, the I, w- I got interested in this word be- partly because other translators translated it differently than Bhikkhu Bodhi. The translation I read here was from Bhikkhu Bodhi. Um, I think Tanasaro Bhikkhu uses a translation objectif- objectifies. Obje- the papancha means objectification. And other teachers also point to that this, uh, this word means something more than just a lot of thinking. Because there are other places in the texts where this word, when um, there's a place where it says, freedom is for, for one without papancha. And it's tied very closely to a mind that is free from papancha, is tied very closely to a mind that is free from greed, aversion, and delusion, is liberated. And so, reading that text, I thought, this has got to be much deeper, much more profound than simply a lot of thought. Because you can have the mind being free from thought and just be very concentrated and not be terribly free. And so the... I got a little curious about this and, and began to explore a little bit, you know, what, what it might mean if it does mean something more like objectif- objectifies, objectification. There's a teaching story that might help us here to understand something about this getting tied up around perception. And it's this... Um, this is actually in the, in the Pali Canon, this, this teaching story. It's a story I'd heard when I was a child, the story of the blind people and the elephant. Many of you have probably heard this story. So I'll just briefly recap it. There was a story of a, in a kingdom, a long ago kingdom, um, the king asked 
his um, elephant trainer to bring an elephant and to gather the blind people who were in the village and to show the blind people the elephant. And so the elephant trainer did this and he brought the, um, the elephant and the blind people together and the king says, show the, show the people the elephant. And some of the people he showed the leg, they touched the leg, some people touched the tail, some people touched the ear, some people touched the, the, uh, the side of the elephant. And each one then when asked, the king then asked each one, so tell me what an elephant is. What is an elephant like? And each one had a different answer. Those who touched the leg said, an elephant is like a post. Those who touched the tail, an elephant is like a broom. The ear, it's like a winnowing basket. The wall, it's like the side of a storeroom. I mean, the, the, the side of the elephant, it's like the wall of a storeroom. So they each had different perceptions, naturally. Very naturally had different perceptions of the elephant where the story gets tied into our uh, exploration of papancha, in the story, hearing the each other describe, oh, an elephant's like this, they got into fights about it. They said, no, you're wrong. I know from my direct experience, an elephant is like a post. It's not like a winnowing basket. You're wrong. An elephant is like this. An elephant is not like that. And they came to blows over this. Now this is, this happens in our, <laughs> in our world, basically. It happens. In this case, you know, this is kind of what's happening here is the, the, the people are taking their perception to be the elephant. So they're, it's not just that they're saying, well, this is what I experienced. Huh, you experienced something else. Huh, that's interesting. Wow. There's a kind of a, a reification or a, this is what I experienced and this is truth. This is the elephant. So it's, Coming back to the analogy, it's taking something to be real that's something that's just based on experience. That's just the experience. And so there are places in the teachings where the the teachings point to this process of papancha leading to ideology, quarrels, war. This, he says, is the root of conflict. So this process of perception, if we look at it a little more closely here, this process of papancha, when we perceive something, one of the first things that happens, perhaps, is that the mind takes it to be reality at a very basic level. We believe our perceptions to be what's out there, rather than understanding that the perception is a construction of the mind. So possibly this process of papancha has to do with this 
process of mind that creates the concept associated with the perception and takes that concept to be real, believes that conceptualization to be real. So we can't live without perception and concepts. We have to, they, they have to happen. But what part of the process is problematic is not recognizing that it's a process, that it's a construction of our minds. That we believe it's reality. We believe it's truth. And from that, divisions happen in our culture. Divisions happen in ideologies. So if we um, look at this paragraph, I'm going to read this paragraph using objectifies. See if it has a slightly different flavor for you. Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. With contact as condition, there is feeling. What one feels, that one perceives. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one objectifies. With what one has objectified as the source, perceptions and notions born of objectification beset one with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. So this process, with what one has objectified as the source, This is a thing. Views, opinions, ideas about that come into the mind. And based on those views, opinions, and ideas, we take in the rest of our world. So one thing I find interesting about objectification, this word objectification, is that it is, um, you know, in, uh, you don't have an object without having a subject. And so this is another piece of the equation here with Papancha. If the mind is objectifying something, creating it as a thing, It's simultaneously creating an I separate from that thing. The root of papancha in one text is said to be the thought I am. So this creation of subject and object happening in this moment when we're not noticing perception as perception not noticing the creation of concept as the creation of concept. This is the medicine for us that that we can recognize it. And in recognizing it, not be caught by this objectification. One scholar, a Pali scholar, Professor Pali Hawadana says, this process of distorted perception, because that's what happens. Papancha distorts perception. 
this process of distorted perception, of placing every bare perception into a framework of emotions and beliefs that have come out of our past, our history, our conditioning, robs the freshness out of our experience. But we're not aware of this constant interference of the past because of this unawareness, which is our ignorance or our delusion. We see humanity fragmented as me and others, us and them, and in various other stereotypes, skin color, ethnicity, language, ideology included. And so this misunderstanding around perception leads to a great deal of suffering externally. I think I have time for this. This is uh, at the time of the Buddha. There were two two Brahmins arguing with each other about what makes a true Brahmin. One said, what makes a true Brahmin is the lineage of pure birth. The other said, I think what makes a true Brahmin is how they are in the world, how they respond to the world. And uh, telling in this particular story, it says that the one Brahmin could not convince the other Brahmin of his view, and the other Brahmin could not could convince the other of his view. So, sound familiar? This kind of cementing our opinions, our views, based on our our beliefs. So they decided to go ask the Buddha, what do you think about this, about what makes a Brahmin? And the Buddha starts by saying, well, let me tell you, I'll teach you, as they really are, the divisions of beings in the world. For there are many kinds of birth. Know first the grass and trees, though they lack self-awareness, their birth is their distinctive mark, for there are many kinds of birth. Next come the moths and the butterflies and so on through the ants and the termites. Then know the kinds of quadrupeds of varied sorts, both large and small. Their birth is their distinctive mark, for there are many kinds of birth. Know those whose bellies are their feet, to wit the long-backed classes of snakes. Know, too, the water-dwelling fish that pasture in the liquid world. Next know the birds that wing wing their way as they range in open skies. Their birth is their distinctive mark, for there are many kinds of birth. While in these births, the differences of birth make their distinctive mark. With humans, no differences of birth make a distinctive mark in them. Nor in the hairs, nor nor in the head, nor in the ears, nor the eyes, nor in the mouth, nor the nose nor in the lips, nor the brows, nor in the shoulders or the neck, nor in the belly or the back, nor in the buttocks or the breast, nor in the genitals or in the ways of mating, nor in the hands, nor the feet, the fingers or the nails, the knees, nor the thighs, nor in their color or their voice. Birth makes no distinctive mark as with other kinds of birth. 
In human bodies in themselves, nothing distinctive can be found. Distinctions among human beings is purely verbal designation. So this is, verbal designation is based on perception. So we, we, we see differences in human beings. We perceive differences, tall, short, different hair color, different skin color, different genders. We see differences. What the Buddha is pointing to here is that there are no fundamental differences. It's verbal designation that creates these differences. And the reason he's pointing to this is around this question of Brahmins because there was this uh, belief by the one Brahmin that it's the, the lineage of birth that makes a difference. Having pure lineage of having been Brahmin seven generations back, this makes one a Brahmin. The Buddha says it's action that makes one a Brahmin. What kind of birth you have has no bearing on that. One can become free, one can become liberated, no matter And he goes on. For name and clan are assigned as mere designations in the world. Originating in convention, they are assigned here and there. For those who do not know this fact, wrong views have long underlain their hearts. Not knowing this, they declare to us, one is a Brahmin by birth. For those who do not know this fact, Wrong views have long underlain their heart. The belief that these distinctions are somehow important, in this case, in terms of being a Brahmin. And so there is this way that these distinctions that we make when we create ideologies around these distinctions strong views around these distinctions this creates so much suffering externally in our world and now the process of perception not only creates suffering externally, perception and papancha Perception itself doesn't create suffering. Perception is just perception. But it is this misunderstanding, this reification. Reification is another good word that could be used to translate papancha, I think. Reification meaning taking something to be concrete that is not. All of our physical and mental experience is created by our minds. I do happen to think there is a world out there. I think you're out there. I believe that, I don't think I'm just sitting like a a brain in a vat. (laughs) 
So I think there is a reflection. This is a reflection of reality, what's being experienced. And I think it does a pretty good job, our brains do a pretty good job, our minds do a pretty good job of, of perceiving the world. And yet, this mistake of believing it to be reality. Delusion basically convinces perception to believe in the reality of perception. That we're experiencing something out there rather than what's happening, rather than it being constructed by our minds. Everything that we experience, without exception, is constructed in our minds. And these constructions are so often influenced by views, ideas, opinions. This brings me back to what John said last night from Thich Nhat Hanh. For things to reveal themselves to us, we need to be ready to abandon our views about them. In other places, the Buddha pointed to just meeting the bare experience. In the scene is only the scene. We... We take in this, no, this is what is seen. This is what's perceived. So everything that we experience, created by our minds, the suffering comes because, partly because we believe. There's, a, there's this reification, this picking it up as something. Oh, this is a something. Oh, this is a something. Oh, this is a something. And we have these somethings that we like, that we want more of. We have these somethings that we don't like, that we want to get rid of. So suffering. We're back to suffering. Craving and clinging, this wanting things to be a certain way. Craving and clinging, I think we, we all are really familiar with now. This is something that happens in our mind. Craving and clinging are a construct of the mind. Embedded in them is delusion that believes that there's something to cling to, something to crave. What we want, what that craving wants, what that clinging wants to hold on to is actually nothing more than a construction of our own minds. And so craving, clinging, are processes in our mind that are contributing to suffering. But what they want, what they, what they crave is nothing more than a blip in our minds too. It's, a, it's, it's another construct of the mind. When our mind starts to witness these processes at work and see, basically, its own role in the creation of suffering, the mind begins to recognize, wow, yeah, craving, that's the mind. Wow, what craving wants, that's the mind too. When the mind begins to witness its own role in the creation of suffering, wisdom begins to grow around that understanding that helps the mind let go 
of those, of those misunderstandings. Helps the mind release these processes of delusion. Now let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.